welcome to the weekly podcast of Covenant Grace Menifee. Each week, we gather to better understand the teachings of the Bible and how to live them out in our daily lives. We hope and pray that you're encouraged by this week's message. Just about every Christian denomination recognizes that Friday as a very special day in Christianity. Around the world, it is called by different names. There are some that refer to that Friday as God's Friday. I like that. Others remember it as Long Friday. I kind of like that too. Some celebrate Holy Friday. Some nations celebrate it as Great Friday. And there are even some who understandably observe it as Sorrowful Friday. But for us, we've come out tonight to worship the Lord and to celebrate what he did for us on that cross, on that Friday, and we traditionally call it Good Friday, right. On my job, uh, there's a wonderful older gentleman who's dear to me. He sits in the cubicle next to me, and he has consistently, for the last three years, wished me a happy Friday every single Friday. I wish I could be super holy tonight, and say that every Friday morning, I felt like it was a happy Friday. Sometimes in my mind, I'm thinking, what's so good about this Friday? What's so happy about this Friday? I mean, it ain't payday. I asked, do we, do we get to go, get, go home early today? No. Are we getting a raise today? No. Then what's so happy about this Friday? The same question can be asked of this day. What makes Good Friday so good? Well, consider for a moment what took place on that Friday. It was approximately four in the morning when Jesus innocently stood on trial before the high priest. And the Bible says that people were coming up and telling all sorts of lies on him and falsely accusing him of committing all sorts of crimes, but not one of them was considered a credible witness. It wasn't until after Jesus confessed that he was, in fact, the Son of God, and when he did, they spit in his face, they beat him with their fists, and they slapped him repeatedly. Then after that, approximately around 6 a.m. on that Friday, They tied him up, sent him to Pontius Pilate, who after questioning him for a long time, didn't find anything that he had done wrong. Nothing guilty. And so Pilate then sent Jesus to King Herod, who also questioned him and made fun of him, but who also found no reason to convict him of any wrongdoing. So Herod sent him back to Pilate. And then Pilate tried to wash his hands of the whole mess, and he suggested that even though Jesus was innocent, he would punish Jesus and then release him. But instead, the religious leaders demanded the release of a murderer. And when Pilate was asked what, when Pilate asked them what should he do with Jesus, the crowd shouted, crucify him. So Pilate released Barabbas. And he whipped Jesus and then sentenced Jesus to die of crucifixion. By that time, it was close to 8 a.m. in the morning on that Friday. 
And Jesus is now carrying the crossbeam along the Via Dolorosa up Golgotha. And by 9 a.m. on that Friday, he is crucified. Then somewhere around 9.30 that morning, the Roman soldiers divided up his clothing. And Jesus prays for the the first of his last seven words on the cross. And he says, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they do. Then during the hours between 9.30 and 11 o'clock on that Friday, the scriptures record Jesus hanging naked on the cross in excruciating pain, struggling to breathe, bleeding all over the place, and being teased by some who were looking up at him saying, You who are going to destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. If you are the Son of God, come down from the cross. And then between the hours of 11 and noon on that Friday, Jesus said to the repentant thief, truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. It was also during that same hour that he spoke to his mother saying, woman, behold your son, and then to John, behold your mother. And then for the next three hours in the afternoon on that Friday, there was complete darkness over the whole land. And afterwards, the Bible says that the earth shook, the curtain in the temple was torn from the top to the bottom, and then Jesus speaks his final word saying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And then I thirst, and then it is finished, and then lastly, Father, into your hands, I commit my spirit. Finally, right before nightfall on that Friday, a spear was shoved into his side to make sure that he was dead. And only after confirming his death was Joseph given permission to remove his body from the cross and lay him in a borrowed tomb. These were the horrific events that occurred on that Friday. Now, someone may understandably be wondering, where's the good in all of that? What's so good about Friday? This makes no sense to me. In fact, it's nonsense. It would be foolish after everything that happened on that Friday to call it Good Friday. They unjustly convicted an innocent man, brutally executed him by nailing him to a cross. This is arguably the most painful, most torturous, most humiliating, most shameful way to be executed. And yet, we call it Good Friday. If I were to look back on that Friday with a worldly perspective, if I'm only able to interpret the events uh, 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 using my human reasoning, then all that happened on the cross on that Friday would seem foolish. That's why Paul said this in 1 Corinthians 1.18, for the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Listen, none of the participants understood what was happening on that Friday. 
None of the religious leaders nor the Jews in the crowd understood what was happening on that Friday. Not Governor Pilate or King Herod, nor did any of the Roman soldiers understand what was happening on that Friday. Not even the disciples, not a demon, not a devil had the wisdom to really understand what God was doing on the cross on that Friday. It was only in hindsight after being filled with the Spirit of God and receiving divine revelation, that Paul looked back on that Friday and said in 1 Corinthians 2, yet we do speak wisdom among those who are mature. A wisdom, however, not of this age, nor of the rulers of this age who are passing away, but we speak God's wisdom in a mystery. The hidden wisdom which God predestined before the ages to our glory, listen to this, the wisdom which none of the rulers of this age has understood. For if they had understood it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. The rulers, the religious leaders, the political leaders, those who carried out the execution, they didn't understand that they had crucified the Lord of glory. None of them really understood that the man they had crucified on that Friday was God in human flesh, who had come as the Lamb of God to give his life as a ransom in order to reconcile sinners to himself. And so I want to take the few remaining minutes to answer that question, what's so good about Good Friday? From the cross, on that Friday, Jesus said in Luke 23, 34, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. The reason we can call it Good Friday is because Jesus made possible what was previously impossible. Jesus made possible God's forgiveness for man's intentional and unintentional sin. Before that moment on the cross, this was an impossible prayer. It was something that God would not do. Because of his righteous and holy nature, God couldn't just forgive sin without any punishment. It was impossible just to sweep sin under the proverbial rug because it would violate his very nature to do so. You with me tonight? Listen. In the holiness and justice of God, there is an infinite, eternal, unchanging demand that sin be judged and the wages of sin is death. But Jesus prays, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they are doing. Forgive them. Forgive those who intentionally spit in his face. Forgive those who, who knew exactly what they were doing when they lied on him. Forgive those who purposely mocked him and slapped him and beat him. Forgive evil men, uh, the evil men who were responsible for deliberately nailing him to the cross. They knew what they were doing, and they intentionally killed him. And did you not notice that not one of them came back running to the cross to ask for forgiveness, and yet Jesus prays, Father, 
Forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. Hebrews 9.22 says, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. But even under the Old Testament sacrificial system of shedding the blood of animals, this was an impossible prayer. Because Hebrews 10, 10, 3 and 4 says, but in those sacrifices, there is a reminder of sin year by year. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. So no matter how many animals were sacrificed, the blood of animals was not effective enough to forgive sin. It could only cover it up. So Hebrews 10, 11 says, every priest stands daily ministering and offering time after time the same sacrifices which can never take away sin. So up to this point, there was no means to rid a sinner of the consequence of death. No means to make an unrighteous man stand righteous in the presence of God. No means to justify man or make atonement for man's sin or restore the relationship between God and man. There was no way for God to forgive us. His infinite holiness still demanded a just penalty. You still with me? And so by shedding the blood of bulls and goats, God passed over sin, saving up his just wrath, for a later time. So what Jesus is asking God to do here had never been done before until that Friday. Because on that Friday, his blood was being shed from the crown of thorns. His blood was being poured out from his back, his sides, his hands, his feet. It was the shedding of his precious, perfect, effective blood that made it possible for him to pray, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they are doing. Again, none of his Jewish accusers or any of the Gentile prosecutors came to the cross and asked, for forgiveness. But listen to how Paul describes the forgiveness Jesus made possible on that Friday. Colossians 2, 13 and 14 says this, when you were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive together with him. Listen, having forgiven us all our transgressions, having canceled our debt or uh, canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us, which was hostile to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. Isn't that a wonderful promise? The word forgiveness that Paul uses here to describe what Jesus did on that Friday is a word that has generous grace as its root meaning. Oh, I love that. It means... To, 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 to generously grant forgiveness as a favor or to liberally and bountifully give forgiveness to someone without any cause or any reason or any prompting to just freely and abundantly give forgiveness away and to keep giving it away. <laughs> Father, forgive them 
for they do not know what they are doing. Jesus is praying, Father, they didn't ask for forgiveness. They've done nothing to deserve your forgiveness, but I am begging you to pour out your forgiving grace upon them. Wow. Listen, God doesn't wait for us to first come to him and ask for forgiveness before he pours out his grace upon us. Oh, I love that. His forgiving grace pursues us. For while we were yet sinners, Christ died. Oh, listen, I'm exhausted. I had a tough week, but I I feel like preaching tonight. And his forgiving grace not only pursues us for salvation, but also for our sanctification. Listen, there have been many times when I was intent on sinning. Can I be honest? But I know that I know that I know that his grace is what kept me. I have sinned, and his forgiving grace has brought me back over and over and over again. There have been times when because of my sin, I have felt so ashamed, so guilty, so unworthy, so unlovable, I couldn't even lift my head to heaven to pray, and I didn't want to come to church. And yet, his forgiving grace restored me time and time and time and time again. Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. Oh, I know you've had the experience of straying from God and not knowing how to find your way back. And the truth be told, in your flesh, you didn't want to come back. But because he first loved us, because he chose us for salvation, because he elected us before the foundation of the world, his forgiving grace never lets us rest. It runs after us, it chases after us, it rescues us, and it keeps us even when we don't want to be kept. His forgiving grace eliminates all guilt, all shame, all fear, There is therefore now no condemnation because of what Jesus did for us from the cross on that Friday. Forgiving grace. Listen, it's not based on our willingness to ask God for it. If I could dance. It is not contingent on our ability to live a perfectly obedient life. It doesn't weaken in the face of our sin and rebellion. It doesn't give up pursuit, even though we are running from God. Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. What's so good about Good Friday? It is That by the shedding of his blood, Jesus made it possible for God to forgive our sin. And now we have the privilege to be with God. Or as Marcelo so aptly put it on Sunday, we get to be with God. Absolutely. See, that's exactly what happened to the thief on the cross. He was able to be with God. Luke 23, 39, 43, uh, uh, 39 through 43 says, and he was saying, Jesus, remember me when you come in your kingdom. And he said to him, truly I say to you today, you shall be 
with me. We like to focus on paradise. I like to focus on being with him. You will be with me in paradise. What made that Friday so good? I should have brought a towel. What made that Friday so good was that on the cross, Jesus Christ accomplished God's plan for our reconciliation to himself. I got sweat in my eye. To be reconciled means to have our previous relationship with God, the relationship we were created to have with him in the first place, to have that relationship restored. Listen, Adam and Eve and every person born from their union was created to live in relationship with God and to perpetually be with him. But that original relationship was broken when Adam and Eve sinned against God. When they disobeyed him, they died spiritually, meaning they were spiritually cut off, separated from God, sent away from his presence from, in the, from the garden. They were no longer with him. <laughs> and everyone born after them was born into a broken and severed relationship from God. Everyone is born separated from God. And no matter how good a person may think they are, they are separated from God. No quality, no quantity of good deeds can reconcile us back to God. Are you still with me? No spiritual practices, no religious beliefs, no personal convictions can restore us from our separation from God. Why? Because God is absolutely holy and we are absolutely sinful. And his absolute holiness cannot in any degree be in relationship with anything that is not also absolutely holy not without consuming it. And so there lies our problem. It is our sin nature that keeps us separated from God. So listen, religion is not the answer. There's a lot of good in many of the world's religious beliefs and practices. But none of the world's religions solve the problem of sin that separates man from God. So we don't have a religious problem, we have a relationship problem. We need to be reconciled to God to have our relationship with him restored, but there's absolutely nothing we can do to make it happen because everything we do is tainted with sin. Still with me? So how is it that Jesus could say to the thief, truly I say to you, Today you shall be with me in paradise? Let me tell you how. Because as Jesus hung on the cross on that Friday, through him, God fixed the root cause of man's broken relationship with himself. Paul gives a great description of what Jesus did on the cross on that Friday in 2 Corinthians 5, 18 and 19. He says this. Now all these things are from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. 
Namely, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. So good, yes. God was in Christ reconciling us to himself. God, in all of his power, in all of his holiness, and all of his greatness was in Christ, reconciling, in Christ, uh, 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 reuniting, in Christ, restoring, in Christ, resolving the problem of sin. God was in Christ. He was not in any other man. Not in any other religion. Not in any other practice or belief or conviction. The holy God, the only one who could fix our sin problem, was in Christ reconciling us to himself. Truly, I say to you, today you shall be with me in paradise. Jesus could say this to the thief, not because of anything the thief had done, but because of what he was doing from the cross on that Friday, before he was nailed to the cross, Jesus lived as a man. He was, in fact, a man, and he lived a perfectly obedient life. He never committed any sin or wrongdoing. His life was completely perfect. It was completely righteous. He was totally holy. And on the cross, he offers his life to all who would believe in him. So to reconcile us, those who believe in Christ, God takes the perfect, holy life of Jesus and exchanges it for ours. See, that's holiness dancing stuff. That's when they start swinging on the chandelier in the holiness church. God replaces our unrighteousness with his righteousness. He replaces our sinfulness with his holiness. His new life replaces our death sentence so that now we are able to be with him. <laughs> Truly, I say to you today, you shall be with me in paradise. The blood of the cross, which is a reference to the sacrificial death of Christ, is like the most expensive, high-quality, non-stick potware. I don't know if that's what you call pots. <laughs> Sin no matter how bad, can never again stick to us in order to separate us from God. Oh, that's good news. So that now, just like Paul, every Christian can be convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor heights, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Everything that once kept us separated from God has been removed. Everything that could separate us from him has been rendered powerless. Every sin that once separated us from God was nailed to his cross and charged to him as if he committed every despicable act. Truly, I say to you today, you shall be with me in paradise. What's so good about Good Friday? <laughs> 
is that God himself was on the cross in Christ Jesus, reconciling us to himself so that like the thief, we can be with him. Can I keep going? Listen, we're not only with him, but we have become members of his family. John 19, 26 and 27 records Jesus speaking to his mother and to John, the disciple whom he loved. And he said to his mother, woman, behold your son. And then he said to his his disciple, behold your mother. And then the scripture says, from that hour, the disciple took her into his own household. He took her into his own household. (laughs) Listen, they became a family. And in this, we see another reason why Friday is so good, because Jesus made it possible for everyone who believes in him to become adopted sons and daughters of God. We are family. In Romans 8, 14, it says, For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For you have not received the spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry, Abba, Father. Adoption speaks of the permanency and intimacy of our relationship with God. Through adoption, the the adopted child has all the rights and privileges of a natural child with full access to his new father, with full benefits of being an heir to the father's estate. My goodness. A good Friday. In Roman culture, once the child was adopted, The old family lifeline was completely erased and forgotten. Wow. And in the eyes of the law, that child was legally, literally, and absolutely the child of the new father. (laughs) This is the relationship with him that God predestined for us. Isn't that awesome? Ephesians 5, 6 says so. He predestined us to adoption as sons. That's the word. I didn't make that up. Through Jesus Christ himself, according to the kind intentions of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, which he freely bestowed on us in the beloved. So look, John was the beloved disciple of Jesus, right? They were close. They had a great affection for one another. But now, because of the cross, John became more than a beloved disciple. He became an adopted member of his family. Adoption is the act by which God makes us his children and then joins us together as a family. Blacks, whites, browns, and yellows. Democrats and Republicans, male and females, Jews and Gentiles, rich and poor, he brings all together as one family. Woman, behold your son. And then he said to the disciples, behold your mother. Mary was Jesus' mother. That makes John Jesus' brother. John was adopted into the family, and now 
He's the son of God. This is what happened to every person who believes in Jesus. Romans says, for all who are being saved by the spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For you have not received the spirit of slavery leading uh, uh, to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry, Abba, Father. Let me tell you what I think happened on the cross that day at that time. <laughs> the Bible says that all of the disciples had fled and left Jesus. Maybe because uh, John came back to the cross because he deeply loved Jesus. I think that if the rest of the disciples were present, Jesus wouldn't have stopped just with John. I think he would have continued, Peter, behold your aunt. James, behold your brother. Matthew, behold your cousin. Andrew, Philip, Thomas, behold your uncle. I think he would have continued, Peter, behold your aunt. I think Jesus uh, uh, singled out Mary and John because they were present. And if the others would have been there, he would have made it clear that all of his disciples were now family. So here's my question. Will you be present? Are you available? As God's adopted children, will we be present to be a family to one another? Look around you. Who's your sister? Who's your brother? Who's your mother, your son, your daughter? Are you present to be a family to those in this church who have been adopted into the same family of God? I know it's not always easy. It's, it's hard to be family with some folk like me who have to, at the end of church run out of, out of the back door real quick. I know it's hard. But covenant grace, are we willing to have the patience and the grace and the fortitude and the time and the love to pursue becoming the kind of family that would make our father proud. Some may need to hear this, this this evening. You are not alone. You are a child of God. You have a heavenly father that loves you beyond measure. He knows you by name. He's intimately aware and actively involved in every aspect of your life. And he takes his responsibility to love you, protect you, provide for you, and to care for you more seriously than any earthly father ever could. He has made you a part of his family just as he did for John. He has given you not only a spiritual family, but he has given you a family on earth with flesh and blood, a church family. Oh, I long for the day when as a church we will stop hiding behind all of our differences and our fears and insecurities, hiding behind our likes and dislikes, our cultural hang-ups and prejudices and biases and just be the family of God. Woman, behold your son. And then he said to the disciples, behold your mother. It is an amazing thing to really live as God's children. That Friday is so good because Jesus destroyed all of the walls that divided us from God and then from one another. I can stop there. Can I hit one more?
Yeah. And he did it from the cross. My wife said, make sure you got a point where you can stop. Because <laughs> he know I preached too long. <laughs> and, and he did it from the cross that Friday by satisfying the wrath of God that was against us. That's why in Matthew 27, 46, he says, about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, that is my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? What made Friday so good was that on the cross, Jesus satisfied the wrath of God by becoming our propitiation. That's a hard word to say for me, but, but I like saying it. So I put it in here several times. Propitiation. <laughs> is a way or the method or the means that expiated sin and appeased the wrath of God. What does that mean? It means that Jesus paid our debt of sin when he died and he completely pacified God's wrath and satisfied his righteous judgment against our sin. John, 1 John 2, 2 says, and he himself is the propitiation for our sins. And not only for ours only, but also for those of the whole world. See, I, I don't know if any of you grew up like this, with this experience, but we used to get whoopings. You, you hear me? I, I didn't say we got whippings. We got whoopings. And there was no such thing as time out back then. When we were kids, parents would fold the belt in half. And as they were administering the punishment to our backside, they would talk to you. And they would hit you with every syllable. Didn't I tell you not to go outside? And next time you talk back to me, and don't you ever do that again, and then they might take a break. And breathe and then continue. And this one is for what you did last week. And I told you last year I wouldn't forget what you did. And they take a few more deep breaths. And continue. I bet you won't lie to me. That's how we got whooping. With every stroke, every word, you could feel all of their anger being satisfied. This is what God did for us to Jesus. To himself, God satisfied all of his righteous wrath against our sin on Christ. As our propitiation, Jesus was charged, found guilty, and convicted for our sin, and though he remained innocent, Though he was still righteous, though he was infinitely holy, by incriminating Jesus with our crime, the Father had, then, had to then separate himself from the Son. And that's why about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, that is my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus made propitiation as our perfect substitute. What made him such a perfect substitute. Hebrews 2.17 says, Therefore, he had to be made like his brother in all things so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. He was 
or he is, or he, 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 he was our perfect substitute because at the same time, he was both God and man. This is called the hypostatic union. Jesus was total divinity and total humanity. It's easy for us to forget that all that he suffered on that Friday, he, he, that he did so as our human substitute. We're reminded of his humanity when from the cross on that Friday, according to John 19, 28, after this, Jesus, knowing all things, had already accomplished to fulfill the scriptures. He said, I am thirsty or I thirst. He said, I'm thirsty. That, that wasn't a metaphor for anything. He was literally thirsty because he was a man in the garden that had cried so hard and sweated so profusely that he bled through his sweat gland. And it was a man that had lost copious amounts of blood from being beaten and whipped. And it was a man that hung on the cross in the heat of the day. And so he said, I'm thirsty. Because like any human, he had lost so much fluid that he had become dehydrated. He was our perfect substitute because he was a man who was made like us in all things in order to make propitiation for our sins. It was because he was a man like us that he is not only able to understand us, but to feel what we feel. I'll end with this. I can see eyes starting to go up. Oh, I got one more page. <laughs> Hebrews 4.15 says this, For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things. We are yet without sin. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. There are times we all feel as if no one understands where we are or what we're going through. Is that true? But Jesus gets it. He feels it just as acutely as you do. He gets it. He knows it. He feels it. And as our human high priest who understands all of our emotions and feelings and struggles and insecurities and fears and weaknesses, listen, we can draw near to him with confidence knowing that because he gets it, he will supply all of the grace we need to help get us through. That's good news, someone. And so what made Friday so good? was that God poured out the full cup of his wrath on Jesus until there was no wrath left to be poured out on us. And now, all that's left is grace. <laughs> only then, yes, yes, only then, after all that he had endured for us, was Jesus able to say, according to John 19.30, it is finished. <laughs> The word is tetelestai, which means paid in full. Our redemption was paid in full by the blood of Christ. Now, because of the finished work of Christ on that Friday today, nothing again, as I said, will ever separate us from the love of God. And so lastly, Jesus cried out with a loud voice in Luke 23, 46, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Having said this, he breathed his last. He died for us on that Friday. He returned to heaven, back into the presence of the Father, all his work to redeem us, to restore us, to rescue us, finished. Again, quoting that great theologian of our day, Marcelo, only infinite God could endure what infinite God was doing to him on the cross. Oh, I love when he said that. But now it's all done. 
It's finished. And now Jesus says, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And he dies and ascends back to glory to sit at the right hand of God, still fully human and fully God. And so what made that Friday so good was that after he died, he returned to heaven as our advocate, our lawyer, our, our representative before the Father. He returned to glory as our intercessor who continues to pray for us. He returned to glory as our high priest who offered his blood in the true holies of holy. He ministers grace and mercy and kindness and love to all who believe in him. Because of all that he accomplished for us, Jesus made that Friday a very good Friday. I know why my coworker wishes me a happy Friday every Friday. It's because he knows the weekend's coming. And we know today this is good Friday because Resurrection Sunday is coming. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for what you did for us on the cross. How you bled and died and sacrificed your holiness, all that you are, because you loved us and desired to be in relationship with us. And for that, God, we are eternally grateful. God, if anyone under the sound of my voice, God came in here tonight and doesn't know you as Savior, they doesn't, if they don't know you, as Lord, God, I pray that this word has penetrated their hearts. God, that you have spoken specifically and uniquely. God, if there is a believer here who has strayed from you and couldn't find their way back, God, let your forgiving grace rescue them and bring them back into the fold. God, if there are those struggling in our body, in relationship, mend. God, those that it might be depressed, God, uh, uh, encourage. God, do what only you can do. We thank you, Lord. We honor you. In Jesus' name, amen? Amen. Amen. But these emblems represent just what I preached about. They represent what Christ did for us on that Friday, his broken body and his shed blood. And if you notice on the table, there are nails. When you come and partake of the elements, uh, you're welcome to take a nail and to keep it as a reminder of what Christ has done for you on the cross, on that spot. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church, you can email us at info at May the Lord bless your week and guide your steps.